Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bradley. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, I'm flying solo for this episode. We do got the Tennessee Homer cousin Shane. I got a little audio clip we're going to play from him because we had major, major news, college football news, not necessarily SEC news, but it could have SEC ramifications because, of course, uh, everybody knows by now, Southern Cal and UCLA jumping from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. So thoughts on that before getting to... Our latest team preview, the Florida Gators. So stay tuned for uh, some Florida Gators breakdown like we've been doing here, fall camp preview edition. If you missed it, we've done Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky. Now we're on to the Florida Gators. But before we get to that, you know, just stunning news here in the world of college football. And if you had any doubt that we were going to uh, the Super Conference format, after Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC, well, the Big Ten is more or less making that official by adding Southern Cal and UCLA to the league starting in 2024, which is at least contractually a year before Texas and Oklahoma are said to join the SEC. So many, many questions loom over this. Are we going to get a whole nother set of realignment in college football? You know, the buzz right now is that the SEC may be looking to add more teams. So I'm going to give you some thoughts on who that could be. But um, yeah, just massive, massive news here. The Pac, can't even call it the Pac-12 anymore. The Pac-10, I guess, at least for the time being, looks to be in shambles. Just lost uh, two of their top three programs here I'm throwing Oregon into that top three but that is the biggest question that I have right now what is Oregon thinking and what could they possibly be doing I joked and it was just a joke but uh, I see the duck Twitter I didn't even know there was duck Twitter but duck Twitter's out there they're they're having a good time with this one I said I can't wait for Oregon and Washington to join the SEC and again again I've I picked those two because that was about the furthest you can get from the SEC footprint. But Oregon and I think Washington, I think they go hand in hand, are going to be two programs to watch. Will they stay in the pack? Will they try to be the two leaders of that program? Or will they jump to the Big Ten? Will they jump to the Big 12? Will they become independent? A lot of questions here that we don't have answers to right now, but uh, the Oregon and and Washington decisions loom large, no doubt. I thought this was hilarious. Let's give uh, Eli Drinkwitz some credit here. You know, there was all that big talk of the Alliance, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC going against the mighty SEC. Here's what Drinkwitz had to say. I'm going to need to revisit what the word Alliance means. After this news of UCLA and USC Southern Cal, of course, the other USC jumping to the Big Ten. But, yeah, so much for the alliance. (laughs) That was a handshake deal that uh, went and blew up on the Pac-12 there. So, again, what could come of this? How does the Big 12 now sit here with, uh, you know, their speculation? The Big 12 may be looking to poach Arizona, Arizona State. 
Colorado? Will they all of a sudden become more of a power? And like I said, what does this do potentially? Maybe the Pac-12 poaches some Big 12 teams. Maybe the Big 10 poaches some Big 12 teams. Maybe the SEC does. Like I said, apparently the SEC is at least considering adding a couple more teams. That's the latest buzz. So a lot to get to. But uh, again, if Southern Cal and UCLA are jumping to the Big Ten in 2024, it just seems so unlikely that Texas and Oklahoma are going to stay in the Big 12 till 2025. I just don't know if that makes a ton of sense. So much to be on the lookout here when we're talking realignment issues in college football. But let's jump over, teased it there, to a clip of Cousin Shane giving his thoughts on what uh, to the news of uh, Southern Cal and UCLA jumping to the Big Ten. <laughs> Are we really surprised? I mean, come on now. SEC goes to 16. Are we surprised the Big Ten followed suit? That's what they do. They're always behind us, behind us in rankings, behind us in stadiums, behind us in actual support for the sport of college football. It's SEC and it's everyone else. They are the pinnacle of little brother. Seriously, if you look at the greatest conference in the country, no doubt in my mind it's the SEC. And if you order it off Wish, guess what you get? The Big Ten. These boys went out there to California, found them a couple ball clubs there in USC and UCLA. Could you imagine these two playing in Michigan in November? Hell, half that staff probably ain't even seen snow. So this is just another ploy to try to compete with us, and they never will. Just get your damn football and go home. So I appreciate him coming through with that clip right there. But if the SEC was going to take some teams, I've kind of put it into tears here of who I think they would be targeting. Before we get into these teams, I you have to make note of this because most of the teams that make the sense for the SEC are all the ACC programs. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this, the ACC has their all their conference teams locked into what's called the grant of right deals and that's until 2036 so we're talking over a decade from now and why that's significant it is written into this acc contract any team that leaves the acc it doesn't matter for what league let's say clemson that's the one everyone's looking at right now if clemson were to leave the acc for the sec they could do it but because of the grant of right deals, Clemson would surrender their annual TV money, which in the SEC I believe would be around $55, $60 million, every single year until 2036, that money would go directly to the ACC. So there would be essentially there's no money in it for these schools to leave, no television money, and that is where the vast majority of the money comes nowadays. So it Unless this grant of rights deal gets blown up or there's some loophole to get out of it, it just seems very, very unlikely that anybody in the ACC is going to be leaving that conference for the time being. But that being said, I have put this into tiers of how the of the teams that I think make the most sense for the SEC. And we'll start 
a lot of ACC teams on this list, admittedly, but I just wanted to start with that grant of rights information. How about this one? Again, this is, uh, I'm calling this tier three, the, the ones that I would want these the least out of these rankings, but still some attractiveness here. Louisville, with their obvious connections to Kentucky and could imagine Louisville, you know, they'd fit in naturally playing Missouri and Tennessee and South Carolina and it makes a lot of sense there. Wake Forest, I think, is another one that you'd possibly consider. But again, small academic school, not the uh, alumni base that the SEC is looking for. NC State, of all the programs in the state of North Carolina, I don't. NC State is is kind of mid tier in my opinion. It doesn't make a ton of sense, and I I just don't think that fan base is big enough to be an SEC program. But that's why it's in tier three. And how about uh, Baylor? I think Baylor would make some sense with Texas and Texas A&M coming into the SEC, give you uh, another Texas in-state program. I like the direction there, their new stadium and everything. So those are my Tier 3 teams. Tier 2, Miami. I put these out there, and everybody is jumping on Miami, Miami, Miami. I got a ton of faith in Mario Cristobal. The man's a recruiting machine. I think he'll have the Hurricanes being much better on the field in the years to come, although I don't know how good of a coach Mario Cristobal really is. But they're in Tier 2 because, you know, I think they're overrated as a program. I mean, they don't have their own stadium. It's off campus. They can barely get people in that stadium. They do not have a loyal following down there in South Florida. Uh, they have a small enrollment. It's a private institution. There's just so many things that uh, it's it's the antithesis of an SEC program. It really is. And now we got this renegade booster down there, John Ruiz, the billionaire. Hey, more power to him. I love the fact that uh, he's doing what he can to make his college program elite, but no, I don't think the SEC wants any part of Miami and their small program and their off-campus stadium and just everything that goes with Miami. I just don't think that's a great fit for the SEC. I truly don't. But one team I think that does make a lot of sense and would add an extra footprint to the conference is Virginia. Now, they're not even the number one program in that state. We'll get to them in a minute. But uh, Virginia does make some sense for the SEC. Again, you you get to reach into that footprint if you're the SEC. You know, they've been down for uh, the better part of a couple decades, but there is a strong tradition there at Virginia. Same kind of deal with West Virginia. You, you break into that state. Those fans, now those fans are wild and crazy. They, this is an SEC fan base. Uh, I just don't know. You know, it adds nothing when you're talking about recruiting footprint. And I don't think uh, it's a very populous state. So, you know, the minimal gain, but still, I like the fit of West Virginia's school and their fans and everything like that. Uh, but maybe a little too northern for the SEC taste. But how about this one? I, I don't think this one can be overlooked. Oklahoma State. We're worried about Oklahoma losing that annual game with their in-state rival. Well, we'd get it here if we get Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State has actually been a better team than Texas in the Big 12 the last decade. So a lot to like about Mike, about Oklahoma State. We might finally get Mike Gundy in the SEC after all if the SEC were to absorb Oklahoma State. So they round out my Tier 2 of programs the SEC should look at. Tier 1, already hit on this team, Clemson. 
I realize, uh, you know, South Carolina, you're already in that state. They would be opposed to it, but they'd get on board quick, I think, when you start to see how much uh, money you're bringing in. And, and hell, the reality is this, this is where we're at right now in college athletics. If there's an opportunity to add a program like Clemson and the SEC doesn't do it, that means Clemson is probably picking up the phone and saying, hey, Big Ten, come get us. And that's going to put the SEC at a disadvantage. And then all of a sudden you got the Big Ten having a, a footprint in SEC country. So that's the reality. You, you cannot look at this any other way than that, in my opinion. Clemson's been a outstanding uh, program. They may have a goofy-ass head coach, but they've been a strong program, and they've got a, uh, uh, you know, a fan base there that will support that move to the SEC. I, I think they would embrace, kind of like we've seen Texas and Oklahoma, they're already chanting the SEC chant. I think uh, Clemson would get right on board with that as well. And then Florida State, basically the same thing. And some people wonder, well, why Florida State, not Miami? Much, much stronger tradition down there. Much better fan base. They still, you know, lately they've been god-awful, but for decades they've sold that place out. Bobby Bowden, Jimbo Fisher, their track record speak for itself. You can build a football power down there if you as long as you don't got Mike Norvell running that thing so I think Florida State makes a ton of sense and again you just cannot remember geography is out the window here so anyone saying well Clemson Florida State they wouldn't jump to the Big Ten well why in the hell would Southern Cal and UCLA I mean everybody's up for grabs in this scenario so Florida State Clemson keep them out of the Big Ten add them to the SEC and you're just keeping this entire region that's already on lockdown. Yeah, I mean, you're getting the other two football powers in the region. I think it makes all the sense in the world. And if you really want to expand the footprint, add two more elite brands, North Carolina, everything you'd be getting with the basketball program would just be extra. I know their football program is, it rarely lives up to the hype, but just getting the SEC into the North Carolina footprint. That's where the SEC network's located. I, I assume most of the audience knows that, but it's pretty wild that uh, we have the SEC network based out of North Carolina. We don't even have a conference affiliation in that state. So North Carolina, I think, is the crown jewel right now standing out there. And again, I really do think the Big Ten is likely going to make a call to, to North Carolina and probably Duke if we're being honest, to try to get them to join the Big Ten. So there, there is something there that if the SEC is not proactive, they could be losing their stranglehold on the South. So that's, that's a big reason why I think these moves should be made. And then last but not least in my Tier 1, Virginia Tech. I think that's the program you need to get if you're going to get someone out of the, the state of Virginia. Such a proud Football tradition down there, down there, a fan base that would embrace the SEC. And, I mean, coming out to enter the Sandman, they're basically, uh, you know, they don't have the, the history of Oklahoma, but I see them as a ideal fit, kind of like the Sooners when it was announced we're coming to the SEC. We're ready for them to join the fold. I think Virginia Tech would be a just a perfect bookend to add – to the tier one of the SEC. So again, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. If the SEC had their pick, if this grant of rights deals could be worked around, it's a big if. Those are the ones I'd be targeting. But maybe more realistically, one team I have not hit on 
which may not make a ton of sense on the face of it, but again, you're just trying to make sure the Big Ten doesn't get stronger, make the SEC stronger. Notre Dame. Now, they're the wild card. Will they stay independent? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work because uh, sooner rather than later, we what we might really have is just the SEC playing SEC, the Big Ten playing the Big Ten. And what's that going to do to the rest of the conferences? Who knows? But they're going to be downgraded significantly. And I don't understand how Notre Dame is going to be a partner in any of this as they're an independent. Uh, I mean, they're basically going to, be playing nothing but G5 opponents. And if they truly want to compete for national championships, like their fans and their administration says they do, staying independent just doesn't make sense. You got to believe the Big Ten, that's their number one target. And after the Big Ten made these moves, I think it would be just a hell of a move by the SEC to swipe the fighting Irish right out from under the Big Ten noses. So I'd love to see that. Obviously not a big Notre Dame fan, but if you're going to add a big, big time program, just like they did when they added Texas and Oklahoma, Notre Dame, there's not much of a bigger name. They may be a hell of an overrated football program, but they're a big name, particularly, uh, you know, with the older fan base. (laughs) But as promised, let's get to uh, our Florida fall camp preview. And Cousin Shane, even when I told him I was going to do this, He's, uh, he's got family duties tonight, so that's why he's not on the show. But he said that uh, he doesn't have the heart to do a, a best-case scenario for the Florida Gators. So, hey, no Cousin Shane. We're jumping on the Gators. Quick recap of how the Gators did last season. I know those fans are ready to turn the page. But you went 6-7, six 6-in six the SEC East, lost to UCF in the Gasparilla Bowl. What the hell bowl is that? But I realize... Dreadful, dreadful season. We've moved on from the previous coaching staff. I get all that. But you got to remember, this is a program just a season removed from an SEC East title, went toe-to-toe with the Crimson Tide, which was far and away the best team in the country in 2020. I mean, they went basically unchallenged through most of it. Their biggest competition was uh, Florida in the SEC Championship. That's the same program we're talking about here. And then even last season, before the wheels fell off, hosting Alabama, if not for a missed PAT, Florida may have knocked off the eventual national – I'm used to call it Alabama the national champions, the reigning SEC champions, Alabama, of course. But, you know, you went toe-to-toe. With the Crimson Tide, in, I know it was in Gainesville, so little home field advantage. That crowd was rocking that that afternoon. But I just don't think we can discredit this program. What they still have to work with. They had some losses. Completely new coaching staff. I get it, but I think Florida is being discounted way, way, way too much right now. Uh, I like the Billy Napier hire. I know the, some of the fans are a little upset with how things are going in recruiting, but. Hell, that's got nothing to do with what's going to be coming up on the field this fall. So let's start to break down this coaching staff. Billy Napier, 40-12 and 12 in four seasons at Louisiana, won the division title three times in his four years there, a 2-1 and one bowl record. Uh, and again, 40-12 and 12 record. I don't care where you're coaching. That's pretty damn impressive. And – while doing my uh, coaching stats, my updated coaching stats for the upcoming season, one 
thing that really stood out from the Billy Napier era at Louisiana, if it translates to Gainesville, them Gators are going to be one hell of a football program under Billy Napier. Billy Napier in one-score games, his record at Louisiana, 16-3. and 16 wins and three losses in one-score games. That tells you that he knows what the hell he's doing when it comes to critical decisions on the field. A lot, you'd be amazed. Some of these coaches, I don't know, they outsmart themselves or they don't know time management. Whatever it is, 16-3 and three is incredible in one-score games. Again, if that translates to Florida, who you got to believe year one of the Billy Napier era is going to be in a lot of one-score games. That gives them one hell of an edge on the field this fall, I have to believe. Now, the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, Rob Sale. Well, actually, they got two offensive line coaches down here in Gainesville. Never seen that before, but uh, that's the way Billy Napier runs his ship. He was uh, Rob Sale was with the New York Giants last season, but previously he was, again, the offensive line coach, offensive coordinator at Louisiana under Billy Napier for three seasons. He's got SEC experience. He was at Georgia. I believe he's coached at Alabama. So Rob Sale, no stranger to what it takes to succeed at a high level in the SEC. Patrick Toney is a defensive coordinator. Again, this is another Napier coordinator from Louisiana, was with him all four seasons, and one of the higher-rated SEC defensive coordinators, according to uh, my man Dave Bartu. I, th I think he's got Patrick Toney as uh, number four, number five defensive coordinator in the SEC. So look for the Gators to be much improved on that side of the ball. Defensive line coach Sean Spencer, he was with the New York Giants the last two football seasons. Before that, he was at Penn State coaching the defensive line from 2014 to 2019, so a long track record. That's when Penn State was at its best under James Franklin. It hasn't been recently. It's been when Sean Spencer was up there recruiting and developing defensive linemen. And before that, Sean Spencer was at Vanderbilt under James, during the James Franklin era. So any connection to Vanderbilt during that era is uh, something to, to take note of because he's going to be working with a hell of a lot more talent in Gainesville than he had in Nashville. The running backs coach down here in Florida, Jabari Jaluk, one hell of a recruiter down there, former New Orleans high school head coach. Here's some of the guys he helped recruit to LSU. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Grant Delpit, and he coached Leonard Fournette, Darius Geis. He was uh, LSU's running back coach in 2016. And the last couple of years, he was Napier's running backs coach at Louisiana. So, again, you're sensing a theme here. Billy Napier knows these coaches already. There's, there's not going to be a transition of meshing with these coaches. He's bringing the guys he trusted, the guys that helped him elevate that Louisiana program. Now, one guy that he's brought that he didn't work with previously this man needs no introduction Corey Raymond of course the cornerbacks coach associate head coach uh, LSU def defensive back coach from 2012 to 2021 of course I mean some of his players Derek Stingley Grant Delpit Christian Fulton Greedy Williams Jamal Adams Tredavious White Jalen Collins Tyron Matthews Eli Ricks I mean, just some of the best defensive backs to ever suit up in the SEC. Corey Raymond, 
There is no better defensive backs coach in the country. And Florida, that looks to be your strongest position group on defense this season. Now you got an elite coach coaching them up. So the secondary should be outstanding there. Year one under Billy Napier. The inside linebackers coach, this is a hell of a hire too. Jay Bateman, who the last couple of years, he was the defensive coordinator at North Carolina. Uh, things didn't go their way the last year or so uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I get it, but again, you're not hiring Jay Bateman to be your defensive coordinator. You're hiring him to be your linebackers coach. And before that, he was Army's defensive coordinator. And if you haven't been following Army, I don't blame you if you haven't, they have had a renaissance uh, the last couple of years. A lot of that has to do with Jay Bateman getting that defense up to speed with uh, Jeff Munkin's triple option attack down there. So, hell, that's a hell of a linebacker coach down there in Gainesville. Kerry Colbert, your new wide receivers coach. I, I love this hire. He was Southern Cal's receivers coach the last couple of years. Some of the guys he coached, Drake London, Jordan Cameron, Michael Pittman, Amon, Ron St. Brown, Robert Davis, multiple, multiple draft picks among that group right there. Coached by Kerry Colbert at Southern Cal. Now he's tasked with uh, coaching up a position group at Florida that, uh, you know, we need to get more out of these receivers. A tight ends coach, William Pegler. Now here's an up-and-coming guy that uh, he didn't even coach tight ends last season. He coached running backs at Michigan State. Why is that important? Of course, Kenneth Walker Jr., one of the breakout stars in the country last season. Pegler was named Football Scoop Running Back Coach of the Year last season, and he's another one has got previous working relationship with Billy Napier. He was at Louisiana in 2018, so Billy Napier knows what he's getting in his new tight ends coach. Trust this guy coming off a record award-winning coaching Season up there in Michigan State, another great hire. And then Mike Peterson is our outside linebackers coach. All Florida fans know that name. Outstanding linebacker under uh, Steve, during the Steve Spurrier era down there in Gainesville. He was at South Carolina the last five seasons, coaching up guys like Kinsley Enigbari, DJ Wanham, Bryson Allen Williams, Darius English, some fine defensive players there for the Gamecocks. That was a big loss in my opinion, for the Gamecocks, but a big addition to the Florida Gators coaching staff. And then last but not least, Daryl Stapleton, second offensive line coach down here in Gainesville. He was Louisiana's offensive line coach last season. He's coached up a couple of NFL draft picks during his coaching career. So, again, Dave Bartu, we lean on him. Adam McClintock, they run their coaching analytics. They have this Florida staff as the highest-graded coaching staff in the SEC, which, uh, hell, if nothing else, that has got to give Florida fans confidence that things can get turned around in a hurry in Gainesville. Now, as for the returning production in Gainesville, we got some issues here. <laughs> passing yards, only 17% of your passing yards return, but I think most fans are pretty fired up about that because that means Emory Jones, of course, off to Arizona State, and Anthony Richardson inserted as your starting quarterback AR-15 had only uh, 529 passing yards last season. Rushing yards, 32% returning. Naquan Wright is a leading returning rusher with 326. I know Richardson had uh, close to 300 yards rushing, if I'm not mistaken. But they're going to be relying on the transfer portal to help this unit. We'll get to that in a minute. 
Receiving yards, returning only 46%. Justin Shorter, leading returning receiver with 550 yards last season. Offensive line starts 64% returning. Again, we'll be leaning on the transfer portal to help that unit. So not a ton of production returning for the Florida Gators on the offensive side of the football. But I'm not sure that is that big of a deal, to be honest with you, because it is Billy Napier putting in a completely new system. If this was Dan Mullen still, and we're still running the Dan Mullen offense, I'd be a little bit more concerned. When you're changing everything over, Yeah, I mean, you certainly value experience, but it's not experience in this system. So I don't know how much carryover that would really help. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, we are returning 75% of our tackles. Trey Dean is the leading returning tackler with 88. Tackles for loss, 56% returning with uh, Brenton Cox had 14 and a half tackles for loss. Sacks, 53% of that production was returning. Brenton Cox had eight there. And interceptions, 77% returning for the Florida Gators. So the defense returning a lot more production than the offense. And uh, I think that speaks to what we're going to be seeing here in Gainesville this fall, year one, under Billy Napier, more of the ground and pound, relying on that defense, limiting mistakes on offense, low scoring, one possession type games, which again, fits what Billy Napier is trying to do here. As far as the roster breakdown, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what we have to be dealing with uh, just based on the returning production that we got in Gainesville. Now, breakdown of the transfers. Florida certainly suffered more than most. And, uh, you know, it starts with linebacker Muhammad Diape, who's now at Utah, which, of course, opens the season against Florida, which, you know, makes it seem pretty personal that he went to Utah. I don't know. I have no idea if that factored into his decision, but I do recall when he left you know, he just said he wanted to compete for championships and clearly just didn't have faith that Florida can get that done this season. But you got to imagine they're they're going to not welcome him back with open arms week one. So maybe they'll teach him a little something about coming into the, the swamp as a visitor. Jacob Copeland, leading receiver, off to Maryland. That was a big blow. Chris Bogle, linebacker, off to Michigan State. Tyron Hopper, off to Missouri. Linebacking core taking a hit there. Of course, already mentioned Emory Jones off to Arizona State. Gerald Mincy, the offensive lineman, to Tennessee. And then just recently here, Demarcus Bowman, the running back, off to Central Florida to go join Gus Malzahn and the castoffs down there in the uh, whatever league that is down there they're playing in, the minor leagues to be sure. But breaking down the incoming transfers, it's got to start with Osiris Torrance, who... He was at Louisiana under Billy Napier. And just check out his resume. 2019 freshman All-American. 2020, second team Sunbelt. 2021, first team Sunbelt. And it started with Chris Lowe, the great Chris Lowe, ESPN, had Torrance preseason All-American right out the gate. That's the expectation. So when I say the offensive line, we're going to be leaning on transfers. It starts with Torrance, who just tore it up down there in spring practice already the best lineman on the team according to people uh that were able to view practices 
And he may be getting uh, help from a familiar face because Montrell Johnson, another Louisiana transfer, 2021 Sunbelt Freshman of the Year, followed Billy Napier to Gainesville, led Louisiana with 14 rushing touchdowns, second on the team with 838 rushing yards. Nice one-two punch here via the transfer portal that should really help Billy Napier's offense. And then Ricky Persall from Arizona State, Arizona State, Leading receiver last season in yards and touchdowns. Started 11 games. Should really, really add to this receiving core that is looking to add weapons. They're a little devoid of that in spring. They, they got three or four guys they can count on, but they really need Pershaw to deliver, come in, make an impact. Uh, so another good pickup. One that's kind of flew under the radar, Jalen Kimber from Georgia. He was a 2020 high school All-American. Played only one game last season before going down to injury. So Florida, like I said, they, they have a stout defensive backfield. May not even need Kimber to, to be a star this year on the field, but it's, he's a hell of a nice addition to add some depth to this secondary. And then, of course, uh, Jack Miller, Ohio State quarterback, now down here in Gainesville. He's your backup. He was a four-star in 2020 recruiting class. Played four games for the Buckeyes last season. You know, we got to see him in, in spring. Didn't look spectacular. Certainly looked like no chance that uh, he challenges Anthony Richardson. I don't think anyone's expecting that. But he is a nice depth piece and someone that could potentially develop in this Billy Napier offense. And then uh, last but certainly not least, another offensive lineman for Louisiana, Cameron Waits, six foot eight, three 373 pounds. Good night. Got to imagine... He's going to be coming in on all the goal line packages down there to clear the way for this ground and pound rushing attack under Billy Napier. Now, Napier and company, they did well in the recruiting cycle, at least provided, you know, the new staff, all the turnover, finished with the number 17 recruiting class in the country, number seven in the SEC. I realize that's not going to cut it in the SEC to, if you want to compete for championships, but again, given that he was hired late in the process, Thought he did a remarkable job landing guys like Kamari Wilson, the safety, number three safety prospect in the country, who many had pegged as a Georgia Bulldog. Shamar James, the number five linebacker in the country, I believe pulled him out of the state of Alabama. So anytime you pull an elite prospect away from Alabama and Auburn to come to Florida, I mean, that's a big win. Chris McKellen, the number 16 defensive lineman, he could factor in because the Gators are, are thin on defense. They may need him to step in. Uh, with uh, DeMarcus Bowman transferring out, great thing the Gators landed. Number 14 running back in the country, Trevor Etienne. He may see the field early this fall, as well as uh, Jamar Lyons, a defensive lineman, another four-star prospect, and the number 20 safety in the country, Devin Moore. So, not up to the standard of the of the Gator standard. I don't know if I we're even allowed to say that with Mullen gone, but again, you're getting some impact players that uh, should help the Florida Gators this fall. But really, it's going to be the transfers that uh, are are the are they going to be the key to year one improvements under the Billy Napier era? And you know, I think you could, if I'm being fair, say. It's kind of a wash with the transfers you lost and the transfers you gained. But I will give the edge Florida Gators saying they gained more via the transfer portal solely because so many of the players they added 
are familiar with Billy Napier's system and, and should seamlessly fit into what the Florida Gators are going to be doing, breaking in. Hell, they may even have uh, an upper hand on a lot of the guys that were already on the roster. So when you factor all that in, I think Florida came away a winner out of the transfer portal this offseason. Now, as far as breaking down the roster, starting with the offense, it's tough on offense, but uh, I'm going with the running backs. I think the running backs are the best group, and I think they're going to be relied upon heavily in this offense with Naquan Wright, Lorenzo Lingard, Montreal Johnson. We mentioned the transfer, and we just got done talking about Trevor Etienne. Those four guys are going to be carrying the rock all season for this Florida Gators offense. Offensive line, I went with the second best unit. Osiris Torrance from Louisiana, again, headlines that group. But we're returning a lot of experience here on the offensive line with Richard Garage, Ethan White, Kingley Ugonkin, Josh Braun, and Cameron Waits, the, the incoming transfer in addition to Michael uh, Tarquin. So this is a unit that certainly has underperformed last season I think it's fair to say but I don't know I just think that uh hell we got two offensive line coaches here that's what they did at Louisiana they they ground and pound and had a hell of a lot of success doing that that's what they're gonna have to lean on here in Gainesville I think this unit takes a big step up this fall and then uh third I'm going quarterbacks thanks in large part to Anthony Richardson now I have a, a lot higher opinion of Anthony Richardson than some but the only reason I have this unit so low is because we have to be realistic, whereas Anthony Richardson could be a breakout star, could be the breakout star. If you missed it, we talked about that on our SEC breakout show. Anthony Richardson could be the breakout star in the SEC, but, hell, he could get injured. He's been injured every year he's been in college. He could underperform. He could struggle to adjust to this system. So there are things that are kind of holding back the quarterback room, in my opinion, and I just don't have a ton of confidence in any of these backups to go out there and win you games in the SEC with Jack Miller, Jalen Kitna, and the freshman Max Brown. Not saying these guys can't do it, but I've just not seen anything of them that suggests that they can do that. So that's why I got the quarterback room a little bit lower here in Gainesville. Next up, I got the receivers, Justin Shorter, Xavier Henderson, Trent Whittemore, and Ricky Parshall, Ricky Pershall, and then Jaquavion Frazier's. That's basically, I think, all the guys we can rely on at this point in time. Now, you, you got some talent, Marcus Burks, Jordan Pouncey, but those are not game breakers, at least based on what I've seen up to this point. So, receivers, you're trending towards the bottom of the list, in my opinion, in the offensive depth chart, but doing better than tight ends, who I got dead last year. Keon Zipperer, he's got talent. Dante Zanders, Nick Elksness, and Jonathan Odom. I'm not saying this is a bad group, but I think it's a thin group and one that uh, we had to transition a bunch of linemen on the defensive side to have tight ends in spring. They were so banged up. So just not sure what to make of this unit at this point in time under Billy Napier. Now, as for the defense, I already hit it at it. Defensive backs, that's going to be our strength here in Gainesville this fall. Corey Raymond has got a lot to work with with Trey Dean, Jason Marshall, Travez Johnson, Rashad Torrance, Jaden Hill, Jalen Kimber, Avery Helm, Jordan Young, who had a big spring game, uh, the freshman Kamari Wilson, and don't forget uh, Jadarius Perkins, who was a junior college pickup that uh, Florida was excited about last fall. 
She had to live up to the hype, but it, you know, just another added piece of depth. And hell, he's you're talking sixth, seventh, eighth guy on the depth chart. Not a bad guy to have. One of I think he was number one corner in the junior college ranks uh, two seasons ago. So defensive back field is deep. It's talented. It's loaded. That's going to be your strength of the football team, I think, down there in Gainesville. Uh, now, as for linebackers, you got Ventrell Miller, who we know got hurt last year. The defense fell apart. So that right there should tell you his value to the football team. Amari Bernie, Dewan Black, Derek Wingo. We've got some nice pieces here. I think uh, what they're going to be running under Patrick Tony is uh, more of a nickel type defense. So I don't think we're going to have a lot of linebackers on the field. So being thin there won't kill you because you're going to have more defensive backs on the field based on uh, what they did out of Louisiana, at least as far as I know. Uh, and then defensive line, I love the starters, but we're very thin here on the defensive line. Brenton Cox, I mean, I, I guess you could throw him as a linebacker defensive line. I'm, I'm not sure how you qualify that in this new system. But you do got Gervin Dexter, who's a, he's just a beast. Desmond Watson, who Cousin Shane would love, 415-pounder Desmond Watson. Princely Yumanamilan, I'm sure I butchered that. Jalen Lee, Chris McKellen, Chris McKellen, the true freshman. So, again, Man, we are razor, razor thin here. Defensive line, that's a major, major red flag and a concern this fall, no doubt. But if that group holds up, it's got some massive potential. Uh, but I'm a little concerned that the Florida Gators are not going to hold up theirs and, and they're going to need players to emerge. That's, that's probably the biggest question in spring for me. Now, lastly, the specialist. We got a returning punter in, in Jeremy Crawshaw, so... There you go. You got something there. But as for kicker, we don't know what we've got. Now, we got Trey Smack, a touted freshman coming in, and a walk-on Adam Michalik, who he made a 52 and a 48-yard field goal in the spring game. I believe that 52-yarder was uh, the longest kick in spring game history. So he's got him a leg. We've got some options. But, uh, you know, you're asking me if we're throwing a, a true freshman or a walk-on out there in a critical situation. I'm a little nervous if I'm Billy Napier. But, uh, you know, that's just the current status of the kicking game in Gainesville. Now for uh, Shane's favorite part of these fall camp breakdowns, optimistic look at the upcoming schedule for the Florida Gators. And, again, I've got my orange and blue tinted sunglasses on as I'm breaking down the schedule. Best case scenario, right out the gate, the Utah Utes. I keep hearing Florida's got no chance in this game from a bunch of the other fans in the SEC. They think Utah is going to come down to Ben Hill Griffin and just roll them some Gators. And, hell, they might if Utah's that good. They're that pissed that Southern Cal and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12. They want something to prove. But I really think uh, when they get in that swamp, when they get in that heat, they get in that humidity, I don't think they're ready for this. I really don't. And I think that's going to hurt them in the second half particularly. Uh, Utah has to come out firing all cylinders, which is difficult when you're going across the country in the season opener. No cupcake game to get you fired up for this game, to get you prepared for this game. I think Florida is going to pull the upset. I really do. And I think that's going to be the springboard to a big season. And I've said it before. Billy Napier has got nothing to lose heading into this opener. Because like I said, everybody's counting them out. 
Uh, I think even some of the fans are, are looking at that game and saying, well, I just hope we have a good showing. I don't know what we're going to get here with the first game of the Billy Napier era. But, hey, scared money don't make money. He's on house money in this Utah game. So give me Florida to come out pressure-free, get this first win of the Billy Napier era happens against what many people have as a top-10 team, which, let's be honest, if Utah was in the SEC, they'd be, they'd probably be on par with Auburn this year. I mean, hell, I think Auburn would probably beat them. Well, maybe not. But you see what I'm saying. Utah, I respect other programs, but – it ain't the SEC, so give me a break on all that talk. Give me the Florida right out the gate, 1-0. and And then Kentucky, I mean, I've kind of been hitting at this, but, man, I just think this is going to be all the motivation in the world for the Florida Gators. Dan Mullen basically got fired the day he lost to Kentucky. I mean, that was the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen. Florida Gators, all they do is beat Kentucky for, what was it, 40-some-odd years until uh, Mark Stoops and company start getting hot and beating them two out of four. But that's why Billy Napier's down here. I think as good as Kentucky is, if you just presented roster A and roster B, one was Kentucky, one was Florida, blind test, I think it, I think the vast majority would pick Florida's roster. And the game's in the swamp. It's at night. I'm going Florida to win that game, and I don't think that's much of a stretch. I really don't because I don't think there's a huge separation between these two teams uh, heading into the season. Now, USF, get the hell out of here. That's a that's a pick-your-score type game <laughs> coming to Ben Hill Griffin. I'm sure they'll be eager to prove something, but uh, I'm pretty sure that coach is basically on the hot seat this year. That's how great he's doing down there at USF. So give me 3-0 Florida Gators coming up to Rocky Top. Cousin Shane, cover your ears because why in the hell would I pick Tennessee to beat Florida when Florida is beating them? What is, I think it's 16 out of 17 times. That's all Florida does is beat Tennessee Vols. And they beat a Tennessee Vols that are hyped and expecting greatness. And next thing you know, I mean, hell, even with uh, Treon Harris, Florida went into <laughs> Neyland Stadium and Will Muschamp is the damn head coach and beat the Tennessee Vols. I mean, you can't pick Tennessee to beat Florida in good conscience unless you're ham. Sometimes we drink on this show. I think we, we're drinking anytime we pick Tennessee to beat Florida. So give me Florida. There's just no chance in hell you could talk me into Florida losing to Tennessee until we actually see it. I don't care what the preseason rankings or the magazines say. Give me the Florida Gators to be 4-0 heading back home for Eastern Washington. Oh, my God. <laughs> Eastern Washington. Oh, my God. This game ain't even worth breaking down. This will be uh, one where Jack Miller will probably have the whole second half, if not three quarters, to uh, break down this defense. So give me 5-0 and Florida Gators with Missouri coming to town for homecoming. Uh, this is a, a little bit of a rivalry here. but Maybe a, maybe it's lost some muster with uh, Darth Vader getting fired there, but uh, <laughs> I know this game means a lot to Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz and company, but it's in Gainesville. You know, this game has... Missouri fans will tell you they play Florida tight. They always have. They've actually won in the swamp before, but uh, I, I got to go Florida here. Getting all the momentum after the early start, 5-0. and I don't think that's a stretch at all to say. Now, here's this is going to be a big one. LSU comes to town, and there's just a lot on the line for both these coaches. Brian Kelly, Billy Napier. Of course, Billy Napier. 
passed over for that LSU job, not even in consideration for reasons I don't understand. But I don't think old Brian Kelly knows what he's getting himself into when he comes down here to Gainesville. I really don't. So, hey, this is a complete toss-up, no doubt. You're getting the home field advantage. I think potentially you got the better quarterback, better defense here. Give me the Florida Gators unbelievably here. 7-0. and Imagine after all this couple of weeks of uh, angst and frustration from from Gainesville to be 7-0 and in the Billy Napier era. I, I really don't think that's very unrealistic, but I say all that good stuff to say the party's going to end <laughs> right after that because you do got two weeks to prepare for Georgia in Jacksonville, but I just don't see any path, particularly with, uh, you know, we hit on it, that defensive line, how, how thin – it's going to be uh, Georgia Bulldogs are just going to lean on you for four quarters. And even if you put up a good fight, I just don't think there's any chance that uh, Billy Napier and company have have a beaten Florida. So, again, that's another one. You go in it with house money, man. Just hope you can kind of keep it a competitive game in year one of a new coaching staff facing the defending national champions. First loss of the season. And I would actually, even though, you know, Texas A&M may be slightly overrated as – I don't, I'm not quite buying them as a top five team like some people have them right now, but going to Texas A&M, College Station, I got to pick the Aggies in that one because, uh, I mean, that's just going to be an incredible, incredible atmosphere. They rarely get to see the Florida Gators in there. They got them during the COVID year, of course, and that was a huge upset at the time that started that momentum for that whole season. So, A&M, I got to give them the edge at home over the Florida Gators, even with my uh, orange and blue glasses on. South Carolina next comes to the Swamp. Revenge game for the Florida Gators. I could easily make the case that South Carolina, again, I think they're going to be significantly more improved. And, and hell, they beat the Florida Gators last year. Let's not forget, they not only they beat them, they whipped that ass, but that was, I believe, the game where Damlin got fired immediately after. So, there's a lot going on that game, if we're being completely honest. But I'm going to give this one to the Florida Gators in this scenario. Coming back home, it will be a big-time trap game. Coming off two losses in this scenario, cannot if you don't come up with your A game, I think you lose this. But I think Billy Napier and company will have those Gators up and ready for South Carolina. And next week at Vanderbilt, again, hey, it's late in the year. That's, that's about all Vanderbilt's got going for them. November 19th, they're going to have a loss to the Florida Gators unless maybe a snowstorm comes through or something, a cold front. Maybe those Gators get a little freezing cold up in Nashville. Trust me, it gets cold here in Nashville that time of year, but that's the only prayer Vanderbilt has to maybe catch Florida napping a little bit. And then at Florida State, that game is going to loom large, but Florida has owned Florida State even with uh, the program struggling. They still seem to beat Florida State, and they particularly beat them in Tallahassee. So, Hey, Mike Norvell, this may be his final game as Florida State's coach. He's going to have a ton of pressure, but give me – you didn't think I was going to pick the Seminoles, did you? Give me the Florida Gators to close out the season strong in that rivalry game. So, hey, best-case scenario, orange and blue glasses on, 10-2. and two. I think Florida's got the talent to get there. Now, it ain't going to be easy. And, you know, the biggest thing that's going to have to happen is – you're going to have to remain injury-free. So that is just something that no one can accurately predict because who, who in the hell knows who's going to get injured and who won't. So that'll be 
the major, major issue to watch with the Florida Gators. Hopefully they can stay injury-free during the season, and particularly during camp, you got to stay healthy. So th- there's going to be a fine line. That That's probably going to be the biggest thing to watch in training camp is to see how far Billy Napier pushes his team because you – I mean, you can't go into a season soft by any means, but Utah and Kentucky right out the gate, those are two teams that will they'll knock the snot out of you if you let them. So if you don't come prepared, you will lose those football games. And that's I've got both those games, Utah and Kentucky, as toss-ups. You could talk me into Florida winning those games. You could talk me into Florida losing those games. And I would be right there with you. Again, the only two that I think Florida – Really doesn't have much of a shot at looking at it right now is Georgia and Texas A&M. So that tells me there's eight games in this scenario that they should win. USF at Tennessee, Eastern Washington, Missouri, LSU, South Carolina, at Vandy, at Florida State. And, and one thing that I really like about this Florida Gator schedule, I mean, hell, look at the, the away schedule. I know you go to A&M, that's going to be tough as hell. At Tennessee, you can't overlook that one. But, again, you own the Vols. At Vanderbilt, give me a break. At Florida State, a place you win more than you lose. (laughs) This is one hell of a favorable home schedule. Of course, you get Georgia and Jacksonville every year. But I cannot express enough how disrespected I think the Florida Gators are being this preseason. And I think there's a there's a hell of a lot better chance they climb the SEC East ladder than they do stay at the bottom of it, finishing six again. I just don't see much of that, much of the, any way that happens unless, God forbid, injuries. Maybe Anthony Richardson doesn't live up to the hype, which coming out of the spring, he looked like a million bucks. So I don't see any scenario where that happens. But it's really going to come down to how healthy they can be, particularly on that defensive line. The offensive line is not particularly deep either. Uh, And running back and receiver, you know, you need those guys to stay healthy. But as long as they do, Florida, I don't think it's totally unrealistic. Ten, nine, nine to ten type win season in the Billy Napier era. Starting strong will be key. But if you can get through that first month of the season – I think you're on to one hell of a ride here in the first year under Billy Napier. But all right, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. And be on the lookout. I may put one out over the weekend, too, because the SEC Media Day is right around the corner. So I have got to pump out these team previews. Otherwise, uh, we're we're just simply going to run out of days. We've only got, as you're listening to this, we've got 10 business days from – SEC Media Day. So, and we've got 11 teams left to do. So, I'm almost forced to put out some during the weekend. So, be on the lookout for that. Maybe a show on YouTube and your, however you get your podcast over the weekend. Another team preview. Hopefully, uh, cousin Shane. I anticipate he'll be back for the Monday show. But uh, hey, that's gonna do it for this episode of the show. I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out and and the kind words, the growing support of these team previews has been outstanding. I can tell you guys are really appreciating all these deep dives on all these teams. But uh, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Have a great weekend and we'll catch you on the next one.